Welcome back, podcast listeners. Episode 155 today. And Tony, we've got an amazing story and amazing guest to go through today. Yeah, the wonderful Andy Tran. Uh, he is a gentleman who you could say has got his fingers in lots of pies, but he's also a wonderful, his, him and his family and uh, the Vietnamese community in general are a wonderful, amazing Australian success story that we're actually going to start talking to Andy about more his journey and his family's journey. Uh, but the Vietnamese, I regard as probably the greatest refugee success story that Australia has ever seen. And you know, in the discussion we were chatting offline before Andy even in the spaces of uh, America and also France, also tremendous success stories as well. So we're going to touch on that today and a bit about Andy's story as well. Yeah. So Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, you know, hello, listeners. I'm uh, pleased to be here. But um, you know, Tony's a, a wonderful, wonderful gentleman. And uh, when he reached out and said, you know, he'd love to hear my story, I was uh, blessed to say, yep, anytime. Looking forward to it. Well, what I want to start with is is really the start in your family's journey, you know, going back to your parents and, and grandparents and things like that. So, um, obviously, we talked, touched on it earlier. You're from Vietnam. Were you born in Vietnam? I was. I was born uh, in 81 in Vietnam. And uh, my family at the time, uh, we travelled by boat. Um, you know, you see it on the news. Everyone sort of has a stigma around it. And, you know, telling, judging from my accent, I think you guys probably can't tell. That I wasn't born here in Australia, um, but yeah, we we travelled by boat uh, out at sea. I believe it was five or seven days. I was quite young at the time, but I, I always hear my parents tell these stories. Um, we were out at sea. I sadly was the only child that survived that journey in that boat. Um, I believe there was two others that did not make it, and the other millions of people that died out at sea in that period of the the refugees. Um, leaving uh, South Vietnam at the time. We we landed in uh, the Malaysian refugee camp Palau Bidong. Um, you know, I think 90% of the South Vietnamese here in Melbourne or Australia would have passed through that camp. Um, and, you know, it, it was a, a beginning of a different journey. Um, you know, at the time, I, I remember Dad saying that, you know, they sort of had to try and figure out how to make ends meet because essentially you leave with nothing. You know, you, you get to this camp and, you know, it was nothing flash. It was essentially third world conditions still, tin roof, um, you know, you got rations every day. And, you know, myself being a child, it was, um, you know, very difficult for my parents to, to try and take care of me. You know, it's, it's not sort of like the same we have today where you've got immunization schedules and you know childcare and those sort of luxuries back then was just how to make sure he's got enough to eat um my, my parents traveled with my older brother um and you know we were there for i think close to a year i'm not you know again i'm too young to remember these things yeah. but um from there we were lucky enough to be accepted in to arrive at australia on refugee status um we landed in Mackay, queensland Okay. So I, I spent a few years of my younger days in the mango farms in, in Queensland and I think um, many other stories of, of other refugees landing here in Australia. Um, we were very grateful that a sponsor family took us in. Um, they gave us food, clothing, shelter, 
and even just the basics you know my parents didn't know how to speak english they didn't know how to buy anything here they didn't know how to catch a bus or buy a ticket you know these are very simple things and then you know things like driver's licenses are are very foreign to to refugees because it's very different you know you've come from a war-torn country and then you you live in a, a refugee camp for for close to a year you know your your sense of reality is very different and then you land in australia and everything is available you know this is an amazing country with so much opportunity so yeah in in mackay queensland we uh we we started off our journey here in australia and and again you know we we loved that um that chance for a new beginning so andy can i circle back for one moment there if it's okay you spoke about your parents yep and obviously you being a real young'un and i I actually reread the book. I first read it when I was about 21. My father bought it for me, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And Willard, who is a, a real avid reader in here, I saw him post that he had just read it um, as well. And it prompted me to try and find my old copy, which I couldn't. And I, so I went and bought another one. I was so engrossed in it the second time round uh, that I bought it for everyone who works here with us. Uh, so I bought like 30 odd copies you know for a whole range of other people too but one of the things and the reason why I'm actually circling back to your parents and asking you this question as well is that when I first read there's a 21 year old the first half of the book if you've read it I was just was filled with anger uh, filled with anger that if I was to get hit in the side of the head by a Nazi prison guard, I, I basically had already said I wouldn't survive because I would have retaliated as a 21-year-old. Rereading it again as a 52-year-old father of two sons who are in their 20s, 23 and 25, completely different perspective. I would have made sure I survived and did everything possible to make sure my sons survived, my kids survived. So, you know, when you talk about your parents' journey going to Malaysia, I know I've spoken to Viv about her. She was in the same uh, place in Malaysia too, our friend uh, Viv, and her family. But a parent's life is very different. It's not about them surviving. It's about them making sure their parents survive. Uh, sorry, their children survive. Have you ever spoken to them about that? Interestingly, it's something that is ingrained in a lot of the Vietnamese culture and as a child you don't understand it and you know your example of being 21 and reading the book you've got a very different perspective of it now yeah um it was this I I, I draw a lot of uh, similarities with that and my father you know he was caught trying to escape Vietnam people were put into re-education camps and then you know all that sort of stuff and you kind of think what goes through someone's mind to risk their life and their family's life for a better future and, you know, it's not that you're going to buy a ticket on a ferry and take a spirit of Tasmania across the, the Bass Strait or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. This is a life or death decision that you actually don't know if you're going to actually make it. Mm. And, you know, for someone to really get to that point and make that decision, it's it's a crazy one. And, and you know, I'm so grateful to have grown up here in Australia. And to be honest, I, I look at the war now in Ukraine and I think... You know, do you stay or do you go? You know, a lot of the people there are the same. And, and you know, the, the parents would be thinking the same. Do I do what's right for my children, for a better future, for my grandkids? And, you know, a lot of that I, I've discussed with my parents. And, and, you know, I think a lot of the Vietnamese culture is always about family and, 
you know it's it's uh, an interesting cycle um, you know as a child the parents always um, put you first they sacrifice everything for their children and you know that that's always been a Vietnamese cultural thing and you know growing up in Australia I'm finding it's almost at a crossroads where um, Western culture is you know independence you know you grow up and you're taught to be independent you look after yourself you know you, me first and all this sort of different sort of uh, thinking but you know that that Asian or Vietnamese overlay if you want to call it sometimes comes at a crossroads right and then you know like for me I'm very grateful that my parents live with me I, I made the decision to say hey mum and dad come and live with me I don't want you guys to be in a nursing home towards you know your later years um, they're not that old yet but you know I, I'd still like them around and, and you know my daughter is very uh, excited every day after school to see her grandparents and and spend time and learn how to cook and stuff from my mum and, and those sort of things and yeah it's it's one of those things where it's a crossroads of culture almost and so Andy, yeah. what you what you're saying to me there is that it's uh you might be saying you know subconsciously me first unless mum tells me otherwise <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, Jody. It's uh, me first, or you know, mum overrides everything. You know? So, yeah, it's it's one of those things, and, and you know, I th I think it's it's a amazing sacrifice um, yeah. that my parents chose mm. for my future and my other siblings' future, and you know, that's something that we we never forget, and it's almost a a perfect segue I have to say to, to you know the museum that I've been working on mm. so the Vietnamese Museum of Australia is a project I've, I've recently got involved with and it's a fantastic project here in uh, I'll say recently and passionately got involved <laughs> with Andy yes <laughs> yeah. um, and you know it, it's an amazing amazing project and you know the thing that really spurred me on was actually my daughter because she asked me the question you know through school they have um, Harmony Week and they have International Refugees Day at school and you know she when she found out that you know her dad was a refugee she was shocked she couldn't believe it she said really dad are you a refugee and I said yes yeah, sweetie you know I'm I'm one of those people that arrived here on a boat you know we, you know it's it's and she couldn't believe it and I think a lot of that is important to capture and retell that story because mm. otherwise it'll get lost you know, a lot of the generation now is all about digital and iPads and YouTube and TikTok and all that other stuff. And they forget the reality of it all. And, and you know, I think some scenes that really shook me up in the last couple of years was the scene from Afghanistan. I'm not sure if you guys remember the scene where the US Army left Afghanistan. Yeah. That brought back some real horrific memories for my mum and dad. They they started to cry. Mum started to cry watching that on the news because it was so closely resembling the fall of Saigon. And, you know, recently with that war in Ukraine, you know, you just kind of think in this day and age, you know, you would think that we'd be passed beyond that kind of level of atrocity and that sort of stuff. And But, yeah, it, it's something that will always be around, sadly. Um, one of our one of our clients is uh, now retired Major Joel Bell, and he was the last Australian officer to leave Afghanistan. So he was in charge of the camp that was getting all of the evacuees out of and the Afghan refugees out of. And yeah, he he actually has had to leave the service after that. 
Um, he's and he's a lovely guy. In actual fact, uh, he's now in contact with SSI, Settlement Services International, about how can he sponsor some of these families that he's got some of them out here. How can he sponsor to get him personally to be able to get the others out here now too? So he's he and he he spoke about that and he said it is horrendous. Uh, he said. To, to actually, to, to some people, to have to say no. He said to be. He said to be put in that position, you know. So, and he, he said, you know, and, and, and the story was on oh, one of them was a case of, yes, you don't have your papers, but I know who you are. You're coming in. Yep. We will. We will find the papers for you. We'll get all that. I know exactly who. You are. I know you've been working uh, for the last five years, and I know if I don't allow you in, the Taliban will kill you. And that, that is the horrendous, horrendous thing that you, you, everyone has to go through, you know. So your, your parents have had to go through as being on that where you had to go through it, not necessarily understanding what you're going through, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, your parents, it, it, is, it is quite horrendous. Yeah, and these are real people, right? And that is, and that is the post-traumatic stress that your parents crying, your mother crying, is that post-traumatic stress of what she went through 41 years ago. You no, know, so it's um, she knows that. You know, and she so. just imagines, you know, that flow and effect. What happens next? Because she's experienced it. She yeah. hasn't just she's not watching it on her. TV. She's mm. experienced it. You know, so, but can I can I circle back once again to your parents? Yeah. Okay, so it's um, you know, I've I've spoken on a number of occasions on these podcasts about the migrant journey to Australia. So my parents came here with an empty suitcase, but they weren't they weren't fleeing. Uh, you know, war. Uh, they actually chose to come here. They came here, with, as my dad said, they came here with nothing. And if they didn't make anything of it, well, they just leave with nothing. Uh, but they had a place to go home to, if that was the actual case. Your family didn't. But one thing I do know about the Vietnamese, uh, your parents' generation when they first came here, their work ethic. Their work ethic, they would be working. I remember Bao telling the story uh, here about his, you know, he'd come home from study and his parents are in the garage sewing for 20 hours a day. And, you know, that work ethic that is just unbelievable that comes through. But it wasn't just their work ethic that gets ingrained in you as their children. You also had, there was also expectations put upon you by your parents as well. Uh, and that's especially around education yep. um, also. Do you, want, do you want to touch on that in your story, but also the story in general for the, you know, the refugee community? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the story Bao from Rod mm. told yeah. was a, a, a one that I think a lot of Vietnamese refugees my age... There were a few Googles age, in the room when he told yeah, the story. we can all relate to this because I think back then the, the one of the... the biggest industries a lot of the Vietnamese people were doing was um, sewing at home and you know my, my parents did it for a while and you know you'd finish school and you'd put your bag down and it'd be straight into there help them you know cutting some of the the loose ends of the threads and those sort of things and it was just non-stop and and you know my parents I think with many other Vietnamese parents believed that they had this opportunity and you know they they wanted to grab it with both hands and that's why they weren't scared to keep working because, you know, like like you touched on before, Tony, that, you know, I think with your parents, they had a bit of a safety net, I guess. If it didn't work out, they could kind of return home. Yeah. A lot of the Vietnamese here didn't because this is our home now mm. and it's this or nothing. And so I think with that, 
that spurned a lot of people to keep pushing. There's no plan B. Correct. There's no plan B. It's just plan A, make money, feed the kids, put them through school, make sure they all have a great education, and that will at least break that cycle and set them up for life. So, you know, you'll see a lot of the people in my generation that are very successful, Mm. doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, CEOs of, you know, fast food outlets like Bell. You know, it's, it's amazing breadth across the spectrum. He was in the medical industry prior to that, though. <laughs> he was, too. So, yeah, so you know, it's... What did he say? His mum didn't speak to him for a month when he said, I'm opening a restaurant. <laughs> but you're a doctor. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's that's the, the thing. A lot mm. of the parents viewed education as the first stepping stone in changing, um, you know, your trajectory in your career and your life. And so... Would that, have been, so would, that, would that have been the same if there wasn't a war in Vietnam? And, you know, so you, you know, so you might still have the tension, say, like South North Korea, etc. But there wasn't the war. Was there still a real focus for, for now? I know it's not from your experience, but only from what you know. If you grew up in South Vietnam, would there still been such a heavy focus on education, do you think? I think there is still. Yeah. I think it's an Asian cultural thing where they believe education is key yeah and you know the the focus is to make sure that you get yourself a good education um you know you'll find it even more in the lower socioeconomic spectrum that that is even more important Mm. um you know middle class is still the same in vietnam i think um they still believe education is important therefore they're putting their kids into international schools and those sort of things but when you get to the sort of upper echelons of the one percents and that sort of stuff then I think a lot of them probably wouldn't care too yeah. much. But yeah. yeah, I know it's 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 vitally important in uh, the Jewish culture as well uh, that you will be educated. You know what you do after that's up to you, yeah. uh, but you will be educated as well. And yeah. that was, you know, my dad said to me when I was young, and to all my siblings, he said, "Doesn't matter what you do in life, I don't care what you study. If you graduate and you get that certificate, you've made me proud." So. Yeah, that was Dad's rule, and, and you know, uh, all of us have, have stuck by it. Um, my youngest brother now is doing his final year, I believe, at RMIT. So, yeah, all of us now have basically got our certificates. But it's interesting you so. say that because my hard-nosed Irish mother, her one was, you will have an education. I don't care what you do after that. You can be a garbo if you want, but you will be the most educated garbo there is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was so. It's interesting though. It was because they never had the opportunity to have the education and you were, we were going to be educated. No matter what we did in life, we will be educated. I think, I think it comes down to that is that opportunity now is, is readily available yeah. and, you know, it would be a waste not to, to take... But Andy, let's revert back to that then because you've, got, you've seen an amazing work ethic from your parents and all your parents' friends and, uh, that all came here to say you've got this unbelievable work ethic then you've been raised with that. You're expected to go to school. You were expected to study. You were expected to be educated. And you were expected to work after school on top of that as well and help out in every aspect. You weren't You weren't going to be going inside and playing PlayStation. Um, I might be having to dig at one of my sons there. Uh, but, it's, but then is a case of that when you're growing up in that household, to put a blunt, that type of household with that role model, what... What other choice did you have but to be successful in life? It was it was it was just going to be inbuilt, wasn't it? I think a lot of it's also around 
I don't know, the, the, the environment. You know, yeah. if you didn't work, you couldn't eat. Yeah. So, you know, eating is a fundamental part of life. And if you're not eating... It actually brings happiness. <laughs> it actually brings community. It brings family. Yeah, <laughs> so and it's, it's, it's um, one of those things where, yeah, that work ethic and the drive is is second nature. And, and you know, it's, it's something that you just don't even think about anymore. And it's just, you know, you just go out and you just smash it. And, and yeah, like as, as a child, I, I did that. And, you know, coming home from school, trying to learn your times tables and, you know, cutting threads off bits of, you know, clothing at the time was... was yeah, all part of it, and and you know a lot of people look at that, and uh, you know growing up in Geelong. So we how, much po- how much pocket money did you get for doing that? Uh, you know, you got to eat. That was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be your answer. <laughs> that was that was uh, you know your pocket money. You know, you, yeah. you got to eat, and and you know part of it was your. As a child, I didn't understand because a lot of my high school, uh, primary school friends and high school friends got pocket money, mm. and you know for me was. This is was expected. Yeah, you know, you were just told to do it, and if you didn't do it, you'd be in trouble. And so, you know, it was very hard to sort of understand. You know, all your mates could go watch the movies and go, you know, play sports and those sort of things. And you know, on the weekends, I was home trying to help mum and dad, and and you know, cook and clean and and clean up after the house and all those sort of things. And yeah, it was it was a very different sort of upbringing. But yeah, it was it was very surreal to to know. But I think a lot of that then helped me realise the value of the family unit, um, you know, and it's, it's not about money, you know, uh, you, you have to learn that giving is better than receiving, you know, it's, it's always about building more than taking, so, you know, I think that was one of the lessons I learned out of all of that. Was can, I, can I ask then on that, you've, um, and I do know you're a person who does give very freely of your time to help, uh, without any doubt. You're, a lot of the normal criticism that could go towards refugees or migrants in general is they stick amongst their own, they stick amongst their own community and their own group. And my experience is that's actually not the case. Uh, yes, you'll have your own communities and your friends and things like that. But I grew up in Mooney Ponds, which was very multicultural. Uh, you know, so if you grew up in Geelong, it was very multicultural. <laughs> very Australian, actually, in a lot of ways uh, as well. So um, don't know how much surfing you did down in Torquay or anything. I wasn't so. a very good surfer. I tried to bodyboard a bit, but I was shit yep. at <laughs> but, but the thing was, though, is that you actually, as a child, uh, so Boyana was born in Serbia. She came here at the age of two, couldn't speak English when she started school because I only spoke that. But all of a sudden, it broadened out. And all her friends are of all different races because, you know, all that type of um, work together. And you're just growing up and you're not knowing any differently. You've then gone and done some work with the Multicultural Commission. Your wife has as well. Uh, no, no, just me. Oh, just you. Sorry. So that, now that's the multicultural commission. That's not the Vietnamese commission. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, what then has, from your experience, has gone? Because what I see about you know some of the stuff we've done with the Victorian Multicultural Commission as well, and some great friendships that have formed for me out of that as well. It's very diverse, and it is about inclusion and bringing everyone together. Would you like to just mention some of the things about that then? Yeah, for, for the work, I'm the Regional Advisory Council mm. um, for the Southern Metro Region for the VMC. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an amazing group of people with all different backgrounds. 
and everyone has uh, a different take on things and they bring a different perspective. And it's, it's really interesting to see how different ethnicities have gone through similar challenges through yep. that time. And, you know, I, I see, um, you know, a lot of the Italian groups, the Greek community, uh, Jewish community, all those sort of things. And, you know, you hear stories from, you know, the, the Pakistani or Sri Lankan community now about how, you know, uh, things have changed. And then, you know, you can hear from a lot of the, the there was a lady there from her Italian background. She was saying, oh, you know, we dealt with the same thing as well when I was at high school. And I, it was just very interesting to see that it's a very... Commonly called the welcome overseas guest, but not like that. Not put like that. <laughs> not really put like that, right? But, it, so, so, but it's, yeah. it was the same thing. And, you yeah. know, she was talking about how, oh, you know, people used to, to joke around when she brought spaghetti to school and, and those sort of things, right? And then, you know, for me, I had, um, you know, mum tried to make like a Western lunch, which was like a sandwich and that sort of stuff, but... Fed you my sandwich. Yeah, she tried to make me... I'm not a... <laughs> The biggest fan of Vegemite, um, you know, but, you know, we tried to make fairy bread, but we didn't know what hundreds and thousands were, so mum used to put sugar on it, and that's like a, a Vietnamese thing, where you put, like, butter and sugar on, on, on sandwich bread, but, yeah, it was uh, an interesting thing, and, and, you know, Bao touched on it as well, Ooh. you know, kids now are, are more open to, to, to diversity and, and inclusion, and, yeah, I think, you know, the, the work of the VMC has been fantastic in breaking down a lot of that barrier. And, you know, this is a topic where we met um, last week to discuss um, around mental health for mm. a lot of the multicultural communities. Um, you know, the challenges around people not talking out about it, um, having advertisements that are culturally specific. Um, you know, I think that there is a, an opportunity for us here to really make a difference and connect with a lot of these uh, communities in language culturally specific to talk about mental health. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, you see Beyond Blue and they'll have like a footy player or something say, oh, it's okay to have a talk about this. But, you know, a lot of these communities don't play football, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm very lucky that I, I grew up in Geelong and I love Geelong Football Club and, you know, that's my team at heart. But, you know, many others that grew up in Richmond or Springvale and those things, they prefer other sports. You know, a lot of people like soccer up here. I only followed soccer once I moved to Melbourne. You know, in Geelong, soccer is unheard of <laughs> yeah. back then. You know, it was a footy town and it still is. And, and you know, Geelong Football Club is, is runs deep in everyone's veins down there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's... And if you don't support Geelong, don't mention that. <laughs> that's right. You know, don't put any other colours up because no. uh, you will get egged or something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, no. Sorry, I was going to say, you've been on a roll with them. You've got all my questions sitting here and you've just been... I wrote the through. questions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bobby. Well, I'm intrigued. You know, you know how much I love... <laughs> it's, sorry, Andy. I, Jamie is the star. Oh, uh, I know. He's the star. <laughs> he goes through it every time. He, and then he's the star the here, but it's just like... Uh, I, I can I, see the passion come yeah. through from you, Tony, and that's Well, it, it is yeah. something... There's a few things that I'm passionate about, history being one of them, but this, these stories, and I love the stories because that's what actually makes it... That's what, that's what I grew up with in Mooney Ponds. That what, that's what makes going down to University Cafe in Ligon Street and having, you know, a carbonara or... <laughs> or, or 
going and having rolled a few too many times, probably two <laughs> per week. Or, you know, it's a, but these these are things that are, this is what makes Australia and what makes Melbourne and what makes us uh, such a wonderful and unique country at the same time. Well, that my question was actually going to be before we got on to the next mm. few ones was around the cultures and I guess integrating into Australian life um, yeah. and how you found the Australian culture. I guess when you were young and, and growing up with that because. You know, we, I always laugh, I'm a sort of bogan country guy in a sense, but there, there is differences in, within the cultures. There is, but to be honest, growing up, I didn't really know much difference. You yeah. know, being in Geelong is a very... Blue collar back then. Yeah, very blue collar. You know, your family either worked at Ford's or, or one of the other... And you broke big, for Geelong. Yeah, <laughs> and that was really it. And, yeah. you know, a lot of Catholic people down there, I'm, I'm Catholic myself, Ooh. so, you know, you go to church on a Sunday. Yeah. And the community was very tight-knit around that sort of stuff. And I, I really didn't know any different. You know, it was... It was sort of strange growing up because, you know, I knew that when I looked in the mirror, I was different. But, you know, you go home and it's different. But in the community and at school, everyone treated you the same. And I think, you know, for me, especially through my younger teens, I think I sort of had to grapple with a bit of an identity understanding, I guess, a phase. Because, you know, you're not sure if you're Vietnamese or you're Australian and those sort of things. And, you know, I've had long chats with, with many people and I think... Yeah, having a conversation with Viv, I think last year it was, and, and, you know, it was just one of those things that it sort of clicked to me. It was, you know, growing up, you always try to fit in. Yeah. Right? And, and it's about, oh, you know, you got to do this because everyone else is kind of doing it. But I think, you know, in the last couple of years, I've really understood the fact that, you know what, I actually belong here, you know, and everyone else has treated me that way. And then you reflect on all the things that happened as a child, and you're like, oh, my God, all my old high school mates they they don't know any different either and they treated me as one of them and, and you know i have so much love for all those guys and yeah even my mates up here you know it's it's all the same and i think that's part of that australian culture yep of you know you're all mates right you know just don't be a dickhead and <laughs> you're either a good, you're either a good guy or you're not yeah, you're either a good guy or not and you always yeah. stand up for your mates and those sort of things yeah. right and, and for me yeah, I, I don't know whether or not it was a bit of a, a, a refugee complex, if you want to call it that, of, of trying to fit in because, you know, for my, my other siblings, they're all born here, so they don't really face the same things because they're born here. Yeah. Whereas for me, everyone sort of style, oh, you're not born here. And I always used to feel a little bit strange about it, but, you know, I, I've realised now, you know what, it's it's actually me that's the problem, not anyone else. Yeah. So, yeah. I do remember saying to, to both Viv and Gian some 25 years ago, I said, you do realise that your children could end up uh, marrying blonde, blue-eyed Australians and will most likely have real ocker Australian accents, don't you? And Viv goes, I never thought of that. <laughs> so, but she goes, but it's true. You know, it's, so, yeah. It is. And, you know, like you hear my accent, right? And yeah. You wouldn't know any wiser no. if you hadn't seen me in public. And That's right. You know, my daughter, she she always has a crack. Uh, I used to work at um, the Melbourne Trading Post. I don't know if you guys ever mm, remember that I old do. Australian institution paper that came out on a Thursday morning. I sold a wetsuit through that once. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was an awesome paper back in its heyday. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I go and visit Frankston, you know, Funky Town. I don't know if you guys know Franger. I do. <laughs> yep, I do very well. Had a and, bike stolen there once. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I take my daughter out there and, and you know, she, she jokes around with some of the, the bogan sort of accent too. And, yeah, it's it's one of those things. And, yeah, it's 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 part of what it is now, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's 
it's part of this melting pot of Australia. Yeah. You know, I, I have travelled many places across the world and, you know, I love coming back home and, you know, mainly because of the food, right? You have the best <laughs> produce in the world yeah. and probably on par best chefs from around the world using Australia's best produce to create, you know, dishes that are probably on par, if not better than overseas. You know, you've got beautiful, clean restaurants and, you know, all the, the nice trimmings here. And, you know, it's... it's oh. Oh, I, I always love, like, one of my best mates, um, actually the best man at wedding, wedding here, um, Barmy's, he's really one of <laughs> Dim sims, barmy, that's, that's the top two categories of the foods that he eats. And, like, you know, has clocked Melbourne in regards to eating barmies around. So I've got a funny story around yeah. that. Jamie. He, he went, over, went out of Vietnam and he goes, I don't like it as much. He goes, <laughs> I, I like how they're doing it here. He goes, he goes, I just think it's just awesome. So uh, it was just funny as you were talking, you know, different flavours and different cuisines. And I've been watching, re-watching the... Um, the Jamie Oliver series is from, you know, the 2000s. Yeah. And it's funny, he's in London and he goes and gets a bar meat and they're doing it different there. And he's talking about how cultures took their food around the world and then, you know, then where they were, they sort of changed it up a bit yeah. to use that local produce. It's it's amazing. And, you know, you sort of touched on the, the dim sim and the bun meat. I remember in high school, we used to buy dim sims and put them in bread rolls. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure if that's, that's a, an Asian thing or a Aussie <laughs> thing or whatever, but that was something that... No, I that was a St. Joe's Abbotsford thing too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun thing that we did and yeah. it was a, sort of a... Dim, dim, dim sims in white bread rolls <laughs> yeah. or, or chicken twisties or cheese twisties in, or even chips, yeah, sandwich chips. That's, in, that was in, what we used to eat at high school. <laughs> so yeah. so um, moving on to sort of some of the work we're doing, we, we touched on um, the work that you've been doing in the museum, um, but you've also been part of putting together a young Vietnamese professional chamber. Um, and we had you guys in our office the oh, about a month or two ago. Do you want to touch on that and the work that you're doing there? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think um, one of the, the challenges um, a lot of the, the Vietnamese Australian people face, I think, in the commercial um, professional world is around <laughs> representation and, and mentorship. And, you know, I, I was very lucky growing up that I... I, I you know, grew up in Geelong, I worked in timber yards and milling yards and those sort of things. And yeah, I, I, I still remember the foreman, Gary, he was a tough bloke, Gary, Gaz. Um, but I learned a lot from him too. You know, it, it was that lesson of, of, you know, mentoring and teaching a different generation that really inspired me to move forward and say, you know what, you have to then try and do something. You know, I remember reading somewhere that, you know, you sort of live three phases in your life. You know, you have an early age phase, which is about learning, and then you're sort of at the middle of the road where it's about doing, and then when you get to the, 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 the later years, it's about teaching. And it's that cycle that then keeps going that, that, you know, really helps build and nurture the future. And so, yeah, with that in mind, you know, uh, I, I got a call from uh, some very, very uh, smart individuals uh, that said, hey, did you want to be involved in starting the Vietnamese Australian Professional Network? And that's, that's where the idea was born. And, and you know, we had the uh, sort of a soft launch here. So thank you, Tony, for, for opening your offices and, and being very generous to Our us. Our absolute pleasure. Um, you know, the beautiful views and whatnot from the boardroom was fantastic. It really set the tone for, for our first meeting. And, you know, the idea is to, to really bring together a lot of um, individuals that want to contribute and also want to get something out of it for themselves. 
so that's that's sort of the focus around the, the Vietnamese Australian professional network. So there was, um, from what I understood, speaking to a couple of people that he, were here, is that a lot of uh, the young professionals who were here in the room didn't necessarily want to be part of their parents' professional network and things like that. So it was a case of, no, we, we want our own. So and so there seemed to be that we've, you, you've actually, we're all doctors and lawyers and two mayors <laughs> as well. So it's uh, yeah, two mayors here in the room. Correct. I think the youngest ever mayor in Victoria. Uh, yes, of, we had uh, Councillor um, Anthony Trent. Yeah. Councillor Jasmine, so, bring bring bank and Malbranong. Yeah, yeah, so it's uh, Jasmine's Malbranong, correct? Or uh, I think Jasmine's she bring bank. Okay, now she was, I believe, the youngest ever elected mayor. She is. Yeah. So I think Anthony was for a short period, and then she got elected. Yeah. Still <laughs> yeah. lived, I believe. She so, said, yeah. "Damn him, I can do better." <laughs> so it's, uh, but, but they're they're wonderful examples of, of you know young Vietnamese Australians achieving great things and, yeah. and you know they're yeah and beautiful people to speak to yeah lovely people oh, they, absolutely so much energy people, yeah. and so much if you've seen the amount of work that they've put in as well they're not just you know token yeah. mayors and councillors they're putting in hard hours and long hours of work yeah to get things done for their yeah their constituents and contrary to the belief out there mayors don't get paid a huge amount of money uh and now some of the councils have 10 CEOs of different departments that get paid a lot of money, but mayors, mayors don't. But the work and the work ethic they put in uh, is quite outstanding. Yeah. Um, quite outstanding. From that, though, that, you know, you, di you did have a lot of them stating they didn't want to be part of their parents' uh, professional network. Can you explain that? I think it's a, a, a generational thing. Mm. You know, it's kind of like... All your parents are on Facebook and, you know, we're all sort of moving over to Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't see what you're up to. It's kind of a bit like that. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the thinking is changing as well. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, we touched on earlier about, you know, the, the first generation coming in and doing whatever it took for their children. Mm. I think for, for people in my generation and, and, you know, a bit younger, we're, we're very lucky now and we're very uh, established now. So, you know, my daughter plays sport. My daughter has the opportunity to, you know, play games and do these fun activities. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, that, that thinking of the olden days is a bit outdated in mm. some respect. Yeah. Um, there is still a lot of value and a lot of um, lessons to be learned from that. But I think you do have to sort of try and evolve it a bit to modern day. And I think this is where those differences come about. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lack of understanding of digital engagement or social engagement in those traditional networks. Um, you know, a lot of it was, was your traditional, you know, sit down, have a meal, you know, that sort of business dealing style network. Whereas this is actually more about contributing to each other's growth. You know, a lot of it's more social impact. It's also about, you know, how do you mentor others, not just about a partnership or a business deal. Mm. So it's, it's evolved a bit and that's where I think the differences of the old style stuff 
and what we're trying to do is so it's it's interesting i do love the fact that you call young professionals because there were a few people of my age in their 50s <laughs> in here as well so i i i think that is a wonderful thing because i certainly don't get that same respect in this office andy uh but in saying that though there were a number of you who sort of ranging from your early 20s through to your 50s um and i think that shows you know people who were like somewhere between 1 and 10 uh, when you first came here in the late 70s, early 80s um, as well. So, But the success that was around that room from people from their 20s uh, through to their 50s was quite astounding. Um, amazing uh, individuals. Absolutely, in room, but so. amazing and unbelievably passionate individuals about helping as well. And I think that's, that's one of the cultural traits of the, the Vietnamese-Australian community here mm. is that when they rally together and galvanise, it is an amazing force to see. And, you know, you see that in examples of when COVID happened, um, a lot of the people rallied behind donating, making sewing masks and handing them out to individuals in the community, raising funds, donating food to, to people, wrapping up all the, the um, care packages and those sort of things and dropping them off and making sure neighbours were okay. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it comes through from... A, a lot of the upbringing and, and you know it's it's almost a Vietnamese Australian way if you want to call it that so, yeah. yeah so if if we then you touched on it earlier but move into uh, the museum I mean the Australian uh, the Vietnamese Australian history here is amazing the stories are absolutely amazing as well my question is why has it taken so long to have your own uh, museum as well I I honestly it's a huge complex that you're building and it's a, a long history and a lot of stories to go in there. It is an amazing project. Um, as to why it's taken so long, I actually don't know, Tony. I just think the stars have finally aligned and, you know, it was the right group of people, the right timing, the right um, sentiment across the community. And, you know, I think it just was many things aligned that had really sparked that journey and really pushed it along. So, yeah, I, I, I'm so proud to be involved and I think it will be something for many, many generations to come and it will be an amazing symbol almost of, of, you know, the achievements of the Vietnamese refugees here and also that plight of freedom, you know. The, I think if I, I'll go back to my eldest son and... A lot of schools will bring uh, the students down to the Holocaust Museum in Caulfield and um, Balaclava. But the my son knew of the stories. You know, we had 28 Kofkins uh, killed during the Holocaust. Um, and he knew the stories, but to him they were stories. So my father grew up in an orphanage after World War II um, as well. And... Uh, it was a Jewish orphanage, but open to anyone, uh, open to any orphan. The, the interesting part was it hit home to him when he saw the pictures. The stories all of a sudden became real. The stories that he read, um, you know, having somebody, and, you know, Eddie Jacko did this in the Sydney, uh, before he, for, for like 50 years in the Sydney Holocaust Museum before he passed away. But it was hearing the actual stories all of a sudden made it real of what actually happened and seeing those pictures made it real and i hope when you say for generations to come your grandchildren can actually say 
that was my grandpa, that was my great-grandparents who had to go through that to give us the life that we have today. And, of course, they're real ochre Australian accents. <laughs> so it's, um, but I think, I think that's what it does, is it, is it keeps the sacrifices alive to the generations today that are benefiting most from it. And it's also inclusive. It is. It's inclusive because it's a story that I can, one, relate with. I have very dear friends in the Vietnamese community and it's one that I can sit there and say, I relate to the story, but it's just, it's, a, it's another, this is why we're such a great city in Melbourne. Mm. And I think you touched on something that's, that's really important and, and, you know, Bill Shorten mentioned this when we did our relaunch for the museum as well, mm. is that we are in now the final generation living generation that can tell this story and you know all credit to bill it was just an amazing observation of his you know not being vietnamese and everything but he sees every day in his community that you know this is it you know i'm i was a child at the time and i'm grown up but you know this is it we are the last of the boat people generation to arrive and if we don't capture that and if we don't have a place to keep all the artifacts history will slowly disappear and yeah. you know it's it's a shame if it does so yeah history forgotten is unfortunately usually repeated sadly so tony sadly yeah so. yeah so andy I, I just want to deeply thank you for coming here I've, I've loved the friendship we've formed over the last few months uh you are an absolute character and always got a smile on your face uh and but it's i i just wanted this story to be told because it's a story of, you know, opportunity. You don't actually have to come from privilege to be have opportunity in life. And sometimes the people who make it the most are the ones who have come from oppression yep. um, as well. In other words, they haven't dwelled on it. I'm sure your parents haven't let you dwell um, on what they have gone through, uh, but they've actually excelled in, in you and your community have actually excelled in bringing your generation through to actually have no excuses for not... Uh, thriving in life and all aspects of life and not just talking monetary uh, values you are a great success story uh, and once again in all in all aspects and we would just like to really sincerely thank you for coming in and telling that story and sharing it with us all thank you for the time Tony and you know to finish off I, I have a, a quote from a good friend of mine Matt Wolfs that I always live by which is the scoreboard never lies and you know I think that's something I always live by and I think that's something we should all take away with us so thank you again for your time thanks Eddie the Coffin Bond podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only it is not intended as a substitute for professional finance legal or tax advice the hosts of the Coffin Bond podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances before making any financial decision you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary consult a licensed financial professional do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Coffin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Coffin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Coffin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.